Well, at this time, we will now attend to the Word of God. Uh, so we have four scripture readings. Uh, Krista will come and read for us from Luke 9. Anna, uh, 2 Corinthians 3, 4 to 12. Uh, Katie from 1 Corinthians 2. And Davis from 2 Corinthians chapter 5. Now, as we read these texts, what you'll find is focused on in all these texts is the mission that Jesus Christ has given to us. And there's a couple things in particular that I want you to see about this mission as we read these texts. First of all, I want you to see the simplicity of the mission. This isn't something that's very far from us that takes a lot of strategy or wisdom to accomplish. It's very simple and easy to do. And I also want you to see where the power for this mission comes from. The, where does the sufficiency to perform this task come from? Uh, and so with that, let me just pray that God would open our eyes to understand his word. And then uh, welcome Krista Ford to read for us. Heavenly Father, we do ask that you would open the eyes of our heart, Lord, so that we could behold wonderful things in your word. God, we know that apart from your Spirit's work in us, we are blind to what you say. We are blind to what your word has to say. We are blind to the beauty and glory of it. Uh, And so, God, come now, I pray. Open our eyes and help us to just stare in appreciation and wonder at your word and about what commands you give to us. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Luke 9, 1 through 6. And he called the twelve together and gave them power and authority over all demons and to cure diseases. And he sent them out to proclaim the kingdom of God and to heal. And he said to them, Take nothing for your journey, no staff, no bag, no bread, no money, and do not have two tunics. And whatever house you enter, stay there, and from there depart. And wherever they do not receive you, When you leave that town, shake off the dust from your feet as a testimony against them. And they departed and went through the villages, preaching the gospel and healing everywhere. 2 Corinthians 3, 4-12 Such is the confidence that we have through Christ toward God. Not that we are sufficient in ourselves to claim anything as coming from us, but our sufficiency is from God, who has made us sufficient to be ministers of a new covenant, not of the letter, but of the Spirit. For the letter kills, but the Spirit gives life. Now, if the ministry of death carved in letters on stone came with such glory that the Israelites could not gaze at Moses' face because of its glory, which was being brought to an end, Will not the ministry of the Spirit have even more glory? For if there was glory in the ministry of condemnation, the ministry of righteousness must far exceed it in glory. Indeed, in this case, what once had glory has come to have no glory at all because of the glory that surpasses it. For if what was being brought to an end came with glory, much more will what is permanent of glory since we have such a hope we are very bold first corinthians chapter 2 verses 1 through 5 and i when i came to you brothers did not come proclaiming to you the testimony of god with lofty speech or wisdom for i decided to know nothing among you except jesus christ and him crucified 
And I was with you in weakness and in fear and much trembling. And my speech and my message were not in plausible words of wisdom, but in demonstration of the spirit and of power, that your faith might not rest in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. Second Corinthians chapter 5, verses 18 through 20. All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them and entrusting us to the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. Amen. So we're going to be looking at Luke chapter 9, verses 1 to 6 this morning in particular. Um, And so I just invite you to leave your Bibles open to that passage because we're going to be referring back to it. Now as we come here to Luke chapter 9, we're entering something of a transition in the Gospel of Luke. Again, this whole sermon series that we've been going through the Gospel of Luke has been entitled A Portrait of Jesus. And that's because I think that's what Luke is trying to give us as he writes especially these first nine chapters of the Gospel. He's just trying to introduce us to the person of Jesus Christ, telling us who he is. And chapter 9, this is a a transition point because it, it it is the point when the, the mission or the person of Jesus stops belonging simply to Jesus himself and the work begins to go forward through his disciples as well. Now, this, as we will later see, is really just phase one of what Jesus is doing. So in this particular passage, Jesus is sending his disciples on a short trip, maybe one or two days, just to go throughout Israel and to tell Israel about the kingdom of God. And then later on, in just another couple chapters, it says that Jesus sends out 72. So then he's sending out more people to go a little further and tell more about the kingdom of God. And then, of course, the person who wrote the Gospel of Luke is also the author of the book of Acts. And there he tells us about what Jesus continued to do and teach. And so in the book of Acts, we see the Gospel not only going to Israel, not only going through 12 and then through 72, but the Gospel goes forward through the whole church of God to the very ends of the earth. And of course, that is the phase of Christ's mission that we are living in. And so as we look at these first six verses of chapter 9, one of the difficulties that is raised in this passage as in many other passages in the New Testament, especially in the book of Acts, is to try to discern what is simply descriptive here, meaning what what is this telling us about what Jesus did, versus what is prescriptive, meaning what is it that we should take away? Because Jesus told his disciples to not take any staff, not take any bag, nor bread, nor money. That's what Jesus says in verse 3. And so we could read this to us a little too quickly and say, oh, well, it must be inappropriate for believers to own a staff or a bag or money as we go about and share the gospel with other people. But I think this would be a, a misinterpretation of the passage. This would be taking what is descriptive and making it prescriptive. And so what I want to strive to do as we look at this passage this morning is try to understand what sort of principles underlie what Jesus told to his disciples. And then those principles can be applied to us today, even though the the particular details of what Jesus commanded to these 12 disciples may not be applicable to us today. 
we know, both from the Gospel of Luke itself, seeing that Jesus gave this mission not only to the 12, but to the 72, and then later on in the book of Acts, that this mission was given to the whole church, we know that we do carry forward the mission of Jesus Christ and the mission of the apostles. So we can't assume that Christ is telling us something here as well. And so the question for us this morning, again, is what is Christ's message to us from this passage? And so as I go through these verses, I want to highlight three particular things that I think Jesus wants us to gain from his instructions to his disciples here. The first thing I want us to see is the necessity of spreading the gospel of the kingdom. So the necessity of spreading the gospel of the kingdom. The second thing I want us to see is to see the simplicity of, of spreading the gospel of the kingdom, the simplicity of spreading the gospel. And the last thing I want us to see is the sufficiency of spreading the gospel of the kingdom. Now, if you wanted three S's, I mean, you all know I'm not big on alliteration, but if you would appreciate three S's, you could say the significance, the simplicity, and the sufficiency. Uh, That might help you to remember it, but I'm going to stick with the necessity, the simplicity, and the sufficiency because I think it helps a little more get at what I'm trying to communicate and what I think the Lord is trying to communicate in this passage. So first of all, this passage shows us the necessity of spreading the gospel of the kingdom. Now, I think this passage actually shows us the necessity of spreading the gospel of the kingdom in three different ways. There are three ways that we see in the necessity of spreading the gospel of the kingdom. First, we see it's necessary because we are to be followers of Jesus Christ And spreading the gospel of the kingdom is precisely the thing that Jesus Christ was all about. As we've seen from the very beginning of the gospel of Luke to this point, Jesus' whole ministry was to go throughout Israel telling people of the good news of the kingdom. Or you could say telling people of the good news of his own kingship. That he had come to be king, that he had come to rule in place of the law, in place of merciless masters that had come before him now The king of grace, the king of peace, the king of love was coming and he was going to rule. And this is the message that he spent his life portraying from his very first words. So this is after the temptation of Satan that he overcame in the wilderness in Luke 4 verses 14 and 15. It says that Jesus returned in the power of the spirit to Galilee And a report about him went out through all the surrounding country, and he taught in their synagogues, being glorified by all. So he came to teach. He came to go into the synagogues to teach people the true word of God, to teach people how all of Scripture pointed to him as king, as Lord. And then a little later on in chapter 4, this is Luke 4, verse 43, it said that he said to those who were trying to keep him in their town, he said to them, I must preach the good news of the kingdom of God to other towns as well, for I was sent for this purpose. Jesus says that this is the purpose that he was sent for, to go all throughout Israel preaching the good news of the kingdom. Now there are many in the church today, there are many people outside the church that think that preaching is kind of old hat. That the idea of this, what I'm doing right now, you know, standing up in front of people and and saying words, that's somehow going to go the way of the dodo, you know, with new technology coming in like video and virtual reality and who knows what's going to come next, that they're just much more compelling ways of communicating than this old-fashioned way of, of standing up in front of people and communicating a message. 
But beloved, if if this is what Jesus himself came to do, if this is what he gave his disciples to do, and if this is what the church has been doing for almost 2,000 years now, then surely we should recognize that this is part of the glorious ministry that God has given to each of us. Right? It's not just for people who can make fancy videos or for people who can have some kind of multimedia empire. No, the, the joy of sharing the gospel, of speaking the gospel to others, will always be with us, whether that's one-on-one ministry that we all should have of, of sharing the gospel individually with others, both inside the church and outside the church, or whether it is a larger ministry, you know, like Billy Graham once had, where he would fill stadiums with people, whatever it is that it may be, Jesus Christ himself has given us word ministry. He's given us the ministry where we speak to one another the words of truth, the words of the gospel. And this is how God himself has ordained that his kingdom will go forward. Matthew 10, 24 and 25 are very important verses for us to understand about following Jesus Christ. There Jesus says that a disciple is not above his teacher, nor a servant above his master. It is enough for the disciple to be like the teacher and the servant like his master. And so as we see what Jesus did throughout this gospel of Luke, as we see what Jesus did in the other gospels as well, we should ask ourselves the question, am I a follower of Jesus Christ? Am I a disciple of his? Do I want to do what Jesus himself did? If he is our master, if he is our Lord, if he is our teacher, then we ought to be like him, beloved. And if he went about spreading the gospel and telling others of the kingdom, then we too should go about spreading the gospel and telling others of his kingdom. And so this is the first way that we see the necessity of spreading the gospel. As Jesus sends out the twelve now, he sends them in precisely the same fashion that he himself did his work. It says that he gave them power and authority over all demons and to cure diseases. That's verse 1. And that's exactly what we've seen Jesus doing the whole time. And so he's telling his disciples, okay, you've watched me do it. Now you go and do it too. And that our, our faith should have the exact same shape, beloved, that we should be looking at Jesus Christ on the pages of his word. And we should be saying, okay, Jesus, I see what you're doing. Now I'm going to go do it too. You are my master. I am your disciple. Let me follow in your footsteps. So that's the first way that we see the necessity of spreading the gospel of the kingdom. The second way we see it's a necessity, and I'll just touch on this one briefly, but it's a necessity because Jesus himself does command it. So that's not in these verses in particular, but of course the famous Great Commission passage from Matthew 28 This is verses 18 to 20. It says, Jesus came and said to them, that was to his disciples, not merely the 12, but for those who were his disciples beyond the 12. He says, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. So again, clearly his instructions for us are to go and to make disciples. Or the way that Luke puts it in his gospel, this is Luke 24, verses 46 to 48. He said to them, Thus it is written that the Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead, 
and that repentance for the forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all nations beginning from Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things. Beloved, we are witnesses of these things, and this is the the third point that we'll get to later, but we are witnesses of these things because Jesus has given us forgiveness. He has healed us of our soul sickness, of our soul diseases, and because we are witnesses of these things, we can therefore go and spread this gospel to all nations, including the little nations that are our various neighborhoods in Pittsburgh, to the great nations around the world. So Christ commands us to do it, and so therefore we must. But lastly and most importantly, beloved, I want you to see that it's a necessity because it is a delight. In other words, it's a necessity not simply of obligation, that it's something that we have to do, but it's a necessity of delight. It's something that we feel compelled to do because of the joy that is set before us, because of the wonder of the gospel message itself. And beloved, I hope all of you know something of this wonder. Indeed, if you are saved, it means that you do know something of the wonder. It means that the gospel, at least at some point in your life, amazed you and was wonderful to you. So just consider Colossians 1, 13 and 14. I think this is one of the most glorious passages in terms of telling us what the gospel does in our lives. It says that he has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son in whom we have redemption, forgiveness of sins. Beloved, this is the message that we get to share. Transfer from a domain of darkness to the kingdom of his beloved son. (laughs) Who does not want to be delivered from darkness? Who does not want to have forgiveness of sins and redemption? It should be a delight to share this invitation as far and wide as we can. Or in the words of Ephesians 2, 1 to 6, it says, You were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked. And then down to verse 4, But God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places. Beloved, as we share the message of the gospel and as people believe the gospel, this is what happens to them. This is what happened to you. You were dead. And now, not only are you alive, but you are alive and you are raised up to be seated at God's right hand even now. How can we not want to share this message as widely as we can? It's like if if you were invited to the greatest party that you had ever known, and you were given a hundred tickets to the greatest party that you had ever known. If you had a hundred tickets to share, why would you not want to go around and share them as broadly as you could, knowing that everybody would like to be part of this party, of this celebration? It should be the same in our hearts. The joy that we have in knowing forgiveness and knowing deliverance. We are eager to share that good news with others. Luke 15, 7. So this very gospel, he states this idea very plainly. Jesus says, Just so, I tell you, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who need no repentance. And so there's even joy in heaven when we get to share the gospel and someone who maybe we never thought would turn to God, we never thought their life would change. But they turn to God because of the power of the gospel itself. 
and heaven itself rejoices. And if heaven is rejoicing over a sinner that repents, how much more should we? And this is kind of a side point, but it's important for us to remember that this also says that there's more joy over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who need no repentance. So we must always remember that our goal in sharing the gospel is never behavior reform, right? We are not trying to make bad people into good people, and we do not get excited when bad people become good people. We get excited when sinners get redeemed, when they trust in Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of their sins, and they know the joy of the Lord. That is when we rejoice. And so, beloved, let's share the gospel because it is a delight. Because we want to be like our master, because we know our master commands it, but also because we know the delight of sharing the gospel. And again, we see this very clearly represented in our passage as well. Again, in verse 1, we see that Jesus gives them power and authority over all demons and to cure disease. Now, if they knew they had that power, how do you imagine they went forward to share? (laughs) If they knew they were going to go forward and they were going to heal the sick and they were going to cast out demons, they must have been so excited to go out and to see this power of Christ working through them. And indeed, in verse 6, the, the bottom of our passage this morning, it says they departed and they went through the villages preaching the gospel and healing everywhere. They were eager to share this good news of the kingdom. And beloved, this here, that, that Jesus, this power here that Jesus gave them to, to cast out demons and to cure diseases was really just a foretaste of the greater gospel work that Jesus was going to do. The the ultimate essence of the gospel is that Jesus is bringing about a new creation. That by his death, that was the death of the old creation, and by his resurrection, he is bringing about a new creation where there is no more sickness, where there is no more evil, where demons no longer reign. And so by giving his disciples this power over all demons and to cure diseases, he was giving them a foretaste of the greater gospel work of the forgiveness of sins that Jesus was going to purchase by his death and resurrection. And so even though oftentimes the gospel that we carry forward today may not come along with powerful healings and works like this, It does come along with a sweeter, even more pleasant, even more joyous forgiveness of sins, new life in the soul. And so we, who have this glorious message, should have no less joy than these disciples had to go forward and cast out demons and cure diseases because we ultimately are curing a disease of the soul, which is even worse than diseases of the body. And yet, at the same time, beloved, just as we do see, and just as the initial point was, if we want to be like our master, and we see that our master was a person that could go around healing diseases and casting out demons, so also we should pray for God to do that same work today to authenticate his gospel message. Say, Lord, we know many who are sick and need healing. Would you heal them? Lord, we know many who are oppressed by the devil. Would you cast the devil out? And knowing that we have authority in Jesus' name, we should go forward exercising this authority, beloved. But again, we should remember that this authority to heal diseases of the body is not greater than 
the diseases of the soul, that the gospel message itself brings healing and curing too. And so go forward because there is great joy, because there is great anticipation in what God can do through us as we share the gospel message. So that's the necessity of spreading the gospel message. And now I want to look at the simplicity of spreading the gospel message. And this is primarily in verses 3 and 4 of our text this morning. So as Jesus sends out his disciples, it says that he said to them, Take nothing for your journey, no staff, nor bag, nor bread, nor money, and do not have two tunics. And whatever house you enter, stay there, and from there, depart. And so notice the simplicity of ministry methodology that Jesus is giving to his disciples, right? He could have called them together to huddle in the first place, right? And, and map out the territory of Israel and say where each person's going to go, how long they're going to stay there, what sort of resources they're going to need, what the best communication strategy is in that given context, right? There's, there's a great deal of strategizing that could have gone on at this point. But instead of strategizing and thinking through the complexities of what is involved in the ministry that they were about to undertake, Jesus simply tells them, don't take anything, and whoever welcomes you, just stay there. And just share the gospel of the kingdom. That's all you have to do, right? And so one way that I think we see that this idea is choose any type of strategy is in this idea of telling them that whatever house they are first received in, stay there. Now, again, it would have been very tempting, I imagine, and very easy as they're traveling around Israel. Let's say the first person that welcomes them in is a fairly poor person, is a person maybe on the outsides of society in that town. And all of a sudden, somebody else in that town welcomes them in, who maybe has more money, who's maybe more well-received in the culture of that day. And they think, oh, you know what? I bet I could share the gospel even more powerfully if I, were, if I hooked up with this person. And then this person were seen with me, and I was, I was spreading the gospel with this person. But Jesus says, don't worry about who you're staying with. Just stay with whoever will receive you. Don't worry about how much you have. Just go and speak the gospel, and the Lord himself will take care of the rest. And beloved, our ministry today, again, whether it's our church ministry or whether it's your individual ministry as a Christian, should be just as simple, beloved. So often we can try to think through vast strategy plans, or if we're talking about our personal ministry, we can think about how much we ourselves need to get cleaned up or get ready before we can go about and, and do this gospel ministry. Maybe we think we need to take more classes, or we have more to learn, or we just add so much complexity to the very simple message that Jesus wants us to get out. The Apostle Paul himself, right? Somebody who knew the Bible better than anyone in this room, much better than anyone in this room. He says himself in 1 Corinthians 2, 2 to 4, I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. He didn't want to know anything else. He just simply wanted to share that message. And then as if to respond to objections about, well, what about your lifestyle, Paul? Certainly you had to be at a certain level of righteousness or a certain level of goodness before you could go out and share the gospel. Well, right after that, he says, I was with you in weakness and in fear and in much trembling. 
So he says he, he didn't come to people after he had gotten everything sorted out, after his strategy was all clean. No, he just went forward with the message of Christ crucified and trusted that God would do his work as that message was proclaimed. And then if you think it it takes some kind of special skill or talent in order to be able to share the gospel, again, in verse 4, right after talking about his weakness, Paul says, My speech and message were not in plausible words of wisdom, but in demonstration of the Spirit and of power. So he was not a good speaker. (laughs) He was not a very noble and glorious figure who other people would be attracted to simply for his charisma. He was a weak man. He was a man who fumbled in speech. And yet, by the power of the gospel message itself, simply by going out with nothing in his hands, not presuming that he knew best who God wanted to save, the power of God worked mightily through him. And so in this, beloved, we should also see that for us, the most important thing is simply presenting that gospel message. It's simply sharing the words of forgiveness that come through Jesus Christ. That Christ indeed died for our sins, took them all upon himself. So that we, simply by trusting in him alone, can be saved, can be delivered from the kingdom of darkness. And beloved, if we simply share that gospel message, then we can leave the results to God himself. It's not a failure of our skill if the person doesn't believe. It's not because we didn't have enough charisma or we weren't cleaned up enough or we weren't appealing enough. It's simply because perhaps God has not ordained salvation for that person at that point in time. Let's leave the results in God's hands. And I think one big way that this can apply to us is just in the area of hospitality. That oftentimes one of the best ways to get to know people, to hear their own life story, to hear what's going on with them, and to also perhaps be able to share the gospel with them is by welcoming someone into your home. And I know that often people are hesitant to welcome others into their home because we feel like, well, our home itself, you know, it isn't cleaned up enough. It's not nice enough. Or I don't have nice dishes. Or, you know, whatever the problem may be, I'm not a good cook. Those sort of things. But beloved, I'd I'd encourage you just to use paper plates and plastic and make Kraft macaroni and cheese and just have people over. Get to know them. And you can share the gospel with them in that way. Again, it doesn't have to be anything complex. Indeed, so often it's in our weakness. It's through other people seeing that we ourselves are messed up. (laughs) That we ourselves are people who desperately need a Savior. That they may also see that they could use the same Savior that we ourselves have come to know. And so don't, don't put too much baggage around this gospel message. Just remember that even if you go somewhere and you don't have anything with you and you don't know who you're going to meet, none of those things, that if you share the gospel message, then the gospel of the kingdom can go forth. I think it's also a reminder to us that as beneficial and as good as strategy is and as helpful as it can be sometimes to think about bigger plans in terms of exactly how are we going to reach this city and this neighborhood? How are we going to reach the poor or any other group we want to reach. 
it can also be a very healthy reminder to us that at the end of the day, what we're really trying to do is simply to get one person to share with another person the gospel of the kingdom. That's what it all comes down to. Now, I know it's not the best analogy, but it's the one I know, and that is in the army, we talked about how the most important thing, the thing that the whole army is built around, is getting steel downrange. That's what we would say. You just want to get steel downrange. Everything else, all the support people, all the infantry and armor and artillery, what they're all trying to do is get steel downrange. That's what, if, if you can't do that, then you don't have an army. Then you can't do anything. Because you can't stop any enemy, you can't do anything unless you can get steel on target, unless you can get steel downrange. And we should have the same sort of mentality. Yes, we do a lot of wonderful things as a church. And yes, we may have a very great strategy as to how we want to reach our neighborhoods or communities. But what it all comes down to, ultimately, beloved, is will one person just share the gospel with another person? And if that happens, then we have fulfilled what Christ calls us to do. So that is the simplicity of spreading the gospel message. But then finally, I want us to see in this passage also the sufficiency of spreading the gospel message, the sufficiency of spreading the gospel of the kingdom. And I think this is probably the most important point. And this is the point that I think we see most clearly in our passage this morning. So again, in Luke 9, starting in verse 1, it says that he called the twelve together and gave them power and authority over all demons and to cure diseases. So simply read that verse and ask yourself, how is it that these 12 disciples were able to go out and to spread this gospel of the kingdom? The only way they were able to go out is because they had first been with Jesus and because Jesus gave them power and authority. In other words, they had no power and authority on their own. Right? We we met the disciples as Jesus called them out. Some were simply fishermen. Some were wicked tax collectors. Some were political activists, right? They came from all different sorts of backgrounds, and they had no inherent power or authority in themselves. But Jesus calls them together, and when he calls them together, he gives them power and authority. And this is the only way that they were able to go out. And we see this power and authority exhibited, especially in verse 5. So in verse 5, Jesus tells them, Wherever they do not receive you, when you leave that town, shake off the dust from your feet as a testimony against them. Now again, if, if these men were not authorized by Jesus himself to go around and to share this gospel message, then certainly they would have no authority to shake off dust from their feet as some kind of testimony against that town. But Jesus is saying that I am authorizing you, that you will be my ambassadors. You will be my official representatives. And because you are my official representatives, you yourself are able to say that whoever receives you receives me, the Savior. And whoever rejects you rejects me, the Savior. And that's why if they went to a town and they were rejected, they were not received they could shake the dust from that town off from their feet as a testimony against them. Beloved, as we go forward, we go forward only in the power and authority of Christ Jesus himself. And this is what we read about in 2 Corinthians 3. 
In 2 Corinthians 3, verses 4 to 6, the Apostle Paul writes, Such is the confidence that we have through Christ toward God. Not that we are sufficient in ourselves to claim anything as coming from us, but our sufficiency is from God. He has made us sufficient to be ministers of a new covenant, not of the letter, but of the Spirit. For the letter kills, but the Spirit gives life. Beloved, we are not sufficient in and of ourselves. Again, when we go and we tell others the gospel, we are not telling them how good we are, how much we have gotten cleaned up, how we now have everything together. We are telling them of another We are telling them of someone else who has great power and great authority and who in that authority offers forgiveness of sins if you will only turn to him. So when we share the gospel, we are not sharing any sort of good news about us, who we are. We are sharing good news about him, about the King of kings and the Lord of lords. I think so often we ourselves feel insufficient because we all know that our lives fall short of what God wants for us. Right? God's greatest commandment is that we love him with all of our heart and soul and mind and strength. And all of us know that none of us love God perfectly in that way. And the second greatest commandment is that we love our neighbor as ourselves. And again, even there, we all recognize, I don't love my neighbor the way that I should. And so we feel insufficient. And yet we get sufficiency from God. And beloved, the most fundamental way that we get sufficiency from God is by recognizing the gospel for ourselves first and foremost. Recognizing that even though I am a great sinner, even though I fail daily to love God as I should, to love others as I should, that I am not therefore disqualified because the blood of Jesus covers me. Because he has made me clean. Because I am righteous in him and in him alone. Because I am righteous in him, I do not need to fear my weakness. I do not need to hide my faults. Because my standing is not in me, it is in him. And so we are sufficient to be ministers of a new covenant, not in our own strength, but in his. Now, 2 Corinthians 5, 18 to 21, that we also read, states this very clearly. It says that through Christ, God reconciled us to himself. That is, all those who have faith in him reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. So again, ask your question, ask the question, who has the ministry of reconciliation? Who is supposed to share the gospel message with others? Whoever has themselves been reconciled to God. If you have been reconciled to God, you now have the ministry of reconciliation. Verse 19, that is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them and entrusting To us, the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ. And ambassador in that language was just like ambassador in our language. It is an official position. It is an authority that God has given to us as his sons. 
And as his daughters, we are ambassadors. We are representatives of God. It says, God making his appeal through us. Again, hear that. God making his appeal through us, not us making the appeal. When you share the gospel, it is not about your skill or your winsomeness or your charisma or anything like that. It is God who is standing behind you, who is making the appeal through you. Through the simple words of the gospel. You are simply the medium. You are the intermediary. God making his appeal through us. And then there's these beautiful words that I really think should be the banner for each of our lives. I know it's the banner for me. Every time I preach, this is what I want to see happen. It says, we implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. This is the good news of the gospel that we are to go about sharing, that people can be reconciled to God through no merit of their own, through no works of their own, but by faith alone, by trusting in Jesus Christ alone. Beloved, I know that one of the biggest hindrances to us sharing the gospel is how we all want the approval of others. And of course, we know that the gospel message can often be a divisive message. Scripture itself testifies that Christ himself was rejected. And if Christ himself is rejected, then we ourselves may indeed be rejected. And yet even here, I think the gospel message itself is sufficient for us because when we know that we have the approval of God himself, we have the approval of the king of kings, of the most beautiful man who ever walked the face of the earth, that he approves of us, that he welcomes us, Well, of course, we're going to still want the approval of others, but it turns from a need into a want. No longer do we need the approval of others. We may want them to come to Christ. We may want them to like us, but we can say, I have the approval I need in Christ alone. And because we have the approval we need, we can go forward to others saying that I implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. And so, beloved, as, we, as I bring this message to a close, I just encourage you, first and foremost, know the gospel for yourself. If you do not know the approval of your Father, if you do not know the approval of Christ, his Son, then don't take another step forward. I encourage you, don't even leave this place, beloved. Come to know the approval of God. Before you leave this morning, I would love to share more of that message with you. And I know anyone here would love to share more of that message with you. And I believe that once you have received that approval, (laughs) once you know the joy of your salvation, the joy of being welcomed into God's arms, then you will have this eagerness to go forward, to share this message with others, with simplicity and with faithfulness. Let me pray for us now. Heavenly Father, I truly do pray that you would restore to us, God, the joy of our salvation. Lord, for any of us here who maybe have grown cold to the salvation that we received years ago, I pray that you would awaken in us once again just an awareness of the glory of our salvation. And God, I pray that as we grow in this joy of our salvation, would we also grow in this joy of sharing it with others, God? 
We thank you, Lord, for the commission that you gave us and for how simple and straightforward it is. And so, God, I ask that you would help us to be faithful. It's in Jesus' name that I pray. Amen. Well, beloved, we do now want to take some time to go to the Lord in confession and in petition. Now, if you have kids downstairs, feel free to go and pick up your children from the nursery now. But for the rest of us, again, let's consider just how this past week have we offended the Lord that we could bring our honest confessions toward him? And how is it that we want to see the Lord work in even greater ways in our lives and in the world around us right now?